going to go back. I want to make one more pass here at the story of Adonijah and how he declares or or exalts himself uh, and says, I will be king. If you remember last week, we were talking about the character of of God, the character of David. And I want to go way, way deeper into this idea of the character of Adonijah versus the character of his father, David. Um, let me write something here real quick, and you all see if we, we're all on the same page. When we, were, when we were here last week, we talked about where David's, David's heart was. And David's heart versus Adonijah's heart. What David's heart was for the people or the sheep. Right? And Adonijah's heart was for... Yeah, did you say Adonijah? Is that what... Oh, I thought somebody said his heart was for Adonijah. I was like, yes, you're right. <clears throat> I want to I dive even deeper into this tonight. That looks like heat. Let me fix that. Because LeBron James played for them, I think, didn't he? No, that was somebody else. Never mind. Or wait, did he play? I don't care. It doesn't matter. Now, Adonijah, the son of Haggath, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. His father had never at any any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man. L.A., you know how that is. And he was born... Huh? Yeah, oh, oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah, look at at Josh. Um, And he was born next after Absalom. He conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruah, and with Abiathar, the priest. And they followed Adonijah and helped him. But Zadok, the priest, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan, the prophet, and Shimei, and Ray, and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fatted cattle. This sounds spiritual. By the serpent stone, which is beside Enrogel. And he invited all his brothers and the king's sons and all the royal officials of Judah. But he did not invite Nathan, the prophet, or Benaiah, or the mighty men, of, or Solomon, his brother. Why is it that, that uh, Adonijah decides that he's not going to invite these specific men that are mentioned? They don't get invites. Why? Because their hearts were like David's. Their heart was for God, and therefore with the people because God actually cares about people it's weird right he actually cares about people it's not about possessions it's not about property it's not about pomp and circumstance it's all about the people or as we discussed last week the sheep Jesus said I am what the good shepherd I am the good shepherd I am the door to the sheepfold. If anyone comes in any other way than through me, they're a thief and a robber. Uh, the, the analogies are endless. Um, and man, I'm hoping you all... That just hit me like a thousand-mile bullet, mile-an-hour mile bullet. Think about all of the analogies that are listed throughout Scripture about sheep and the character of God, the heart of God, His character, the heart of David and His character, the heart of... of these of Nathan um, think about the heart of Nathan I mean uh, 
what, what, was, what, what was Nathan's great task that he undertook as the, as the uh, uh, priest, or the prophet, I mean? Uh, he's the one that confronts David when David sins. Now, I want you all to dig deep into your memory banks. Do you remember the exact analogy that Nathan gives to David when he is there to confront David over his sin? Yeah. Yeah. He had one lamb. This other one had many sheep. And he takes the one lamb from him. Do you see where the analogy is here? Now, I don't want to get too deep too quick here, but David was a shepherd. He understood this analogy. Why was David a shepherd? Why was he a shepherd? Well, there's two reasons. One, it's very likely that Jesse either didn't think much of David because David was number 636. He was number eight out of the eight boys. So it could be he was an afterthought, or maybe David just didn't ha- maybe David just didn't like all the stuff that the other guys liked, you know? Maybe he was happy to be a lowly shepherd for him to do, the bottom of the totem pole. When Israel went into Egypt, originally when they went in, they go, Joseph says to Pharaoh, my family is, I would like to move my family here with me. I want to spend what remaining time I have left with my dad and my brothers in peace and harmony. So he says, get them here. Give them whatever you want. Well, I want to give them the hill, these hills um, because they're all shepherds. And the Egyptian pharaoh says, take that land. That's garbage land. We don't, we don't shepherd here. That's the lowliest of low. That's the servant of servants. We, don't, we have no, no uh, um, respect for that. And he wasn't disrespecting Joseph and his family. He's just saying, yeah, give it to them. Let them do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, can't get it off of you because you're you carry them around you're wallowing in the dirt with them todd sent me a video of this uh this sheep that had gotten down into a, a drainage ditch and it was stuck and couldn't get out so the shepherd goes down this is a modern day thing the shepherd goes down in that muck in the mire literally and wrestles this fat sheep up out of the drainage ditch, shoves him up on the ground, crawls out himself, and he's just filthy as all get out. You know what that stupid sheep does? It goes right back in there. Right back in it. I can't ever do that again. I'll I'll never be able to. That's a once in a lifetime event. Uh, Thank God for video. That's the only way you'll get that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when when David when David hears this analogy of Nathan, think about it like this: um, these mysterious missing markers. David starts out. This is not the best description because I'm not. I don't want to give the wrong impression here. But David starts out 
at the bottom of the barrel with the sheep, right? And then he works his way up into Saul's house and serves Saul. Then he makes his way up to being independent. By independent, I mean he runs from Saul and goes off into the wilderness. And while he's there, David is uh, on the run. He's staying at the cave Adullam. And while he's there, he develops his army, or what would later be known as David's mighty men. These are all men who are running from Saul, running from the law, are, uh, you know, kind of renegades. So David is, is, is now becoming a leader of men until he eventually makes his way up to king, right? When David becomes king, he does something he should not do. He built himself a house that had a tower that he was over top of everybody, above everybody, and everyone was below or beneath him. We like to call that being put on a pedestal, right? David puts himself up on a pedestal, and it's from here that David makes the biggest mistake of his life, or the biggest mistakes of his life, because they all fell together in unison, right? He's... I need to, you know that old, uh, to all beef patty special sauce, lettuce, cheese, remember that? We were watching vintage commercials last night, Jennifer and I were, vintage as in from the 70s and 80s. <laughs> no offense, guys, but that's old for me. But, easy, easy, easy. We, uh, we well, I heard that, and I got to thinking about that, and then the Burger King has the one, the Whopper, Whopper, Double, Whopper. I need to come up with some sort of a song for the list of David's sins. That would be a wonderful song to teach the children, wouldn't it? Right? It'd be a beautiful little ditty to teach the children's. Um, maybe they could do that on a Sunday morning for us, you know. You are a lying, adultering, murdering, scheming, thieving, robbing, bandit. I don't know. We'll come up with something. <laughs> well, I tell you what, if, if this doesn't work out for me, I have a career in, in song making. I've, I've got, I could, I could. <laughs> so, while, when David finds himself up, on this pedestal, when he builds his house, it's here. It's here where Nathan comes to David. And what does he say to him? Hey, David, uh, you know anything about sheep? Been a while, hasn't it, since you've been out there with the sheep in the back of the pasture? Two days' journey from town. You remember those days when Nathan says one man had this one little lamb the other man had all these sheep I'm not saying Nathan orchestrated this I believe that Nathan was led by the Lord and I can I'll be fully honest with you there are many times when I'm up here teaching and preaching when things will come to my mind that I hadn't thought about and I don't, like, stop and tell you that. I just go on so you think I'm really smart. I'm joking. <laughs> but, but there are things that the Lord will lead you to do. 
So when, whether Nathan intentionally did this or, 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 or it just came to him, the Lord led him either way. Because the Lord knows David. And he, there, was, there was one thing that would resonate with David. And what was that? The sheep. Because David knew from the early age what his calling was. He was a shepherd. David did not become a king so that he could rule. David became a king so that he could shepherd the sheep. So when Nathan brings this to his mind, we see the character and the heart of David. And we have the benefit of looking back on Scripture and see that this also is a reflection of the heart of God. Because how many analogies, illustrations, do we see about shepherding? I'm not trying to jump the gun here, but I don't know if y'all know this or not, but Adam and Eve's two sons have fallen out because one of them is a keeper of the sheep, and he does the things that he should do. What were the Israelites? Shepherds. And they always try to get away from that. And when David becomes king, we're no longer the shepherding nation. We are now this great power. From this pedestal, God brings David all the way down back to where he came from. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples when they were fighting about who was the greatest among them? Remember that? They were like, who's the, who's the, who's the best here? Oh, yeah, well, well <laughs> screw you, Rex. I went and visited a sick person today. <laughs> I'm better than you. Rex says, oh, that ain't nothing. I hold lumber for midnight. <laughs> and L.A.'s like, but I put salt on the ramp. Right? And then Michelle's like, beat this. I kept my daughter from choking on her own air. And you think I'm joking, but this is probably about the extent of how this went. They're all arguing about who's the greatest. What's Jesus' response? Let the greatest among you be the servant to all. Remember they asked Jesus one time, how many times should we forgive our brother if they wrong us? Now go back to that story I told you about the video that Todd sent me. When that sheep runs right back into the filth it came out of, what does the shepherd do? Goes back in and gets them. How many times will he go back in and get them? As often as it takes. Eventually, he'll just pick them up and take them somewhere else. Drop them down. Get away from there. Or, they'll put, yeah, or he'll put up a fence. Or he'll lead the flock somewhere else. Or he'll hire another shepherd to help him out. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, he'll, or he'll absolve himself of his sins. A yoke. The hook, the shepherd's crook. Yeah. To, to, to stop them, to guide them, to, to lead them, yeah. Because sheep will actually follow your lead. It's just, they don't have a very long attention span. And they often find themselves in trouble. Now, let's apply this analogy of shepherding, like the yoke that Gary's talking or the crook, shepherd's staff, the crook that Gary's talking about. And I think it's sometimes, sometimes we, we lose this thought. David 
is king, right? But is David not still a sheep? See, when David sins and God confronts him through the prophet, what's David's response? What is David's response? David doesn't say, I can do what I want because I'm the king. That's why he did what he did. Because it was a king's prerogative. And to show you, this is going to be a really, really, really interesting study. Not just tonight, but the next 26 weeks of these four verses. But <laughs> Who said that? Oh, that was that you? I thought, well, thank you for, for your enlightenment. But <laughs> now I've lost what I was doing. I'm just kidding. I know, I know exactly what I'm doing. David, yeah, now I've got to start all over. Daggummit. Man, let's see. Where are we going back to? Was it Romans chapter 1? I've got to go all the way back. When David does what he does, is this the last time that David will sin? No, it's not. That's what tonight's study, as much of it as we can get into, is going to be about. David does not just sin with Bathsheba. Do you know how many wives David has? Neither do I. But it's more than one. He's got, he's got a bunch. And then he has concubines too. You know, we know about Solomon's extravagant uh, uh, a bevy, or what would you call that? A, a, a I'm not going to say buffet, but a, a what? A harem? His 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 pull, bullpen, his bullpen of women. Uh, Three hundred wives, seven hundred concubines, something like that. Well, David has a lot too. It's not just Solomon that does this. David has many wives, many concubines, many sons that we don't we don't know about that aren't listed. Sons who we don't know who their mother is. Because David, he was, he was a sheep too, you know. But the whole time that we hear about David's transgressions, we still are reminded that David is the apple of God's eye. That David is a man after God's own heart. So let, let's, let's, let's dive into this and let me explain what I mean. The heart of God, we talked about this last week. The heart of God means his character. So the heart of David would be his character. Now the Bible tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Do you see what was just said here? It is better to be with the lowly of spirit, or, or to be of lowly spirit with the poor, that means humble, than to divide the spoil with the proud. If you were to ask David, was he happier when he was shepherding the sheep for his father, or when he was doing what he did in the course of events with Bathsheba? Which would you say he was would have more joy when he was a shepherd because the Bible says so. 
This is, this is wisdom. Proverbs, those are wisdom. Now, I want to I I key in on uh, Adonijah. Now, Adonijah feels like he is entitled to the throne. Why? It tells us in 1 Kings that he was next in line after Absalom. Now, we're going to cover very briefly the life, the, the exploits of, of Absalom a little bit later, but I want to go ahead and hit this right now. Absalom would have been the next in line after David's son Amnon. Amnon would have been the, the firstborn. Then there was a son named Daniel, who we know have no record of anything that he did. It, he could have passed away when he was a child. Something could have happened to him. We don't know. But the next one we find is Amnon. Amnon uh, sin. I'm sorry, is Absalom. Amnon, uh, we'll, we'll, again, we'll talk about this in a little bit. Amnon does what he does. Absalom has him killed. Absalom is now the next in line. Absalom dies. That leaves who? Adonijah. So he feels entitled to be the next in line. But like we said last week, David was the last of Jesse's sons. So there was no hierarchy or, or, or deline- um, there was no process of uh, inheritance that took place there due to birth. It was about whom God chose based on their heart, the way that he created them and the heart that they would have. So Adonijah, no matter what he did, would be rejected. He would not be accepted. Why would he not be accepted? The very first line of our, of our verses tonight, verse 5 says, Adonijah exalted himself and said, I will be king. God rejected him because that is not how God does things. The Bible says Adam knew, his, knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep. And Cain, a worker of the ground, so you have ground as in flesh, as in carnality, as in religion, as in holiness, as in law-keeping, as in I can earn my own way, versus Abel, who is a keeper of the sheep, and sheep would be necessary for the offering up of sacrifice. So, Abel trusted in the sacrifice, where Cain trusted in himself. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, which is not what he told him to bring. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said, or his countenance fell, his, his demeanor changed. Why are you so angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. You must rule over it. God rejected Cain. Why? Because of his heart. The lack of understanding of sacrifice, or the lack of accepting the sacrifice. And Cain's heart was all about himself, not about God. We have another story, not long after this. There was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At the time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land, and Abram said to Lot, 
Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. This is Abraham's nephew. Is not the whole land before you separate yourself from me? If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I'll go to the left. I want to pause. How do you all think this is going to go? Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered. Right? Everywhere, like the garden of the Lord. Do you know what the garden of the Lord is? Like the garden of Eden. Like the land of Egypt. The great river Nile. In the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. You are never going to convince me there's not humor in the Bible. Because if I ever saw humor, I just saw it there. <laughs> it was beautiful. This was before it got destroyed. And it was going to be destroyed. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the valley, cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him. All right, let me stop there. Lot chooses the best land because it seemed appealing to him. Now, that does not, do not misunderstand what's being said here. This is not just saying that Lot saw the land and, oh, it's green. It's got a whole lot of trees. Well, looky there. There's water everywhere. This is beautiful. What Lot saw was great cities, great business opportunity. Oh, do you know what else he saw? Go back to Cain and Abel. Abram says, Abraham says, I don't want there to be strife between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. Now, while there are other animals that they could have been herding, sheep. Lot says, Ooh, I can get away from this agri agricultural life. I can go live in the city. Make some big money. I'll invest in stocks. I'll hit the, the tech sector. I'm going to make something of myself, mama. What he doesn't know is what the Lord knows. The men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord, and judgment was going to come. But it looked so good. When David... I don't want any laughing from anybody when I say this. But when David was up on top of his roof and he looked down and saw Bathsheba, it looked as good to him as the watered valley of Sodom and Gomorrah did to Lot. And even though David should have known, he didn't know. Or he didn't know, he didn't care. Just like Lot should have known. But he fell for it. Then the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, 
and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. If I give up every earthly pleasure, if I were to have to give up and miss out on opportunities to be a great man in this world, but I did so because the Lord called me to do something different, and I follow after what the Lord tells me to do, even if I never experience the riches of this world, I never have my name written in lights, I never have my face etched into a stone edifice, even though I may not be remembered when I am gone by anybody other than those that I touched personally with my life, I know that waiting for me is a land that stretches as far as I could ever imagine looking, the north, the south, the east, and the west. It is a land that will be given to me and my offspring, and it will never change hands. Eternity waits for me. What does God ask of us here on this earth? To serve Him in the shepherding of His sheep. And what do we get in return for that? The scorn of the world. The worst places sometimes to sit. Not the best of the best of everything. But we know that we have a promise waiting on us. As the writer of Hebrews says, Those that went before us walked in faith. For they saw something that was not visible to the natural eye. They knew there was something else. So there's, others, there's other analogies we can give here of, of Ishmael and Isaac. One was accepted, one was rejected. Moses says, I don't want to go and speak to Pharaoh. And God says, I will send Aaron, but Aaron will simply be your mouthpiece. You will be the one that has to stand for the people. These, these analogies are endless. You, you, so if you've got one on your mind, trust me, there's, there's, there's many, many others we could give here. Regardless of how Adonijah felt, he was going to be rejected. We know why he was rejected, because his heart was not for the Lord, but for himself. Therefore, obviously, He's not the one that God is going to have to take the kingdom that David has established to, uh, to the next level. Yes, but what was it that David really wanted to do? He wanted to build a temple for the Lord. And what's at the heart of the temple? Sacrifice. And what's at the heart of that sacrifice? The blood. Why the blood? Because of the life that would have to be given to take away the sin of everybody. David's heart was for the sheep. Adonijah's was not. So, let me explain what I mean. Samuel, or the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. This is in response to Samuel seeing the first son of Jesse. What does Samuel say? Oh, surely, surely this is the one. Because he's tall, he's strong, he's good looking. He's got that certain savoir-faire. You didn't know I knew French, did you? He, I don't. 
<laughs> yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, I gave it up being American, but anyhow. When Samuel sees the first son of Jesse, he also says, Boy, this is easy. This is easier than I thought. Because here in a little bit, he's going to say to Jesse, Do you have any other sons? And Jesse's going to say, uh, oh, yeah, I forgot I got David. But he's out with the sheep. And Jess, or Samuel will say to Jesse, go and get him. We will not sit down until he gets here. Meaning we won't have dinner. We won't relax. So when, Je when Samuel sees his first son, he says, we're going to get to eating real quick. This is going to be easy. But the Lord says, eh, eh, and he says that seven times. Eh, eh, eh. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. Is that what Cain did? Is that not what Lot did? Is that not what Ishmael did? Is that not what many others throughout the scripture have done? Did David not look at the outward appearance of what he was doing and not at the heart? Obviously. Obviously. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So what, what would cause Adonijah to be rejected? It's because of his heart. His heart is not selfless, it's selfish. When Jesse made seven of his, of his sons pass before Samuel, Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? There yet remains yet, or there remains yet the youngest but behold, he's keeping the sheep. <laughs> and Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. Wait a minute. I thought we weren't supposed to look at the outward appearance. But look at the heart. So what's going on here? which was that it didn't mean David had to be but ugly. It didn't mean that he had to be a fool. David, the man that God would choose, was also ruddy. Beautiful eyes, was handsome. I heard somebody describe ruddy as kind of red. Yeah, that's what, yeah, like, it's a... Uh, David, they, they, some people say he's redheaded. They believe David was redheaded. I said, I don't know, man, because he wasn't a stepchild, so I don't know if he. That's a terrible joke. Terrible, awful joke. I actually thought, Gary, I actually thought you were going to say, I've heard some people describe you that way, Jeremy, but I don't, I don't think anybody's ever described me as ruddy or beautiful eyes. Um, maybe handsome. My grandma used to say that all the time. But, and, the, <laughs> and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he, the chosen one. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. What? Whoa, 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 whoa. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Now, now listen. Hold up a minute. Hold up a minute. So that means from that day forward, the Spirit of the Lord was on David. 
That would mean when David was, what, fighting Goliath? Running from Saul? Playing his harp? Or his sixth string? When David was developing his military, his army? When David was taking Jerusalem from the Jebusites? Yep, the Lord was with him. What about when David did what he did be doing with who he shouldn't be doing what he be doing with? Was the Spirit of the Lord with David? Thank you for answering so quickly because some people might be hesitant to say that because of the fear of repercussions, but yes, he was. Because what happens after David is confronted with his sin? What does he do? He repents. Not only does he repent, but he weeps. He says something along the lines of, My heart is overcome with the sorrow. My bones feel like they are broken. My joints feel like they have been pulled apart. So Samuel rose up and went back home. He went to, to Ramah. I want to key in on, again, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I want to talk about the heart of David. For, I'm going to give you a few verses here to capture the heart or encapsulate the heart of David to get you to see. I want to make sure we understand where David's coming from. And remember, David the sinner. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. That means unchanging love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. David is aware of his sin. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. Against you. Oh, I don't even feel worthy to read this, you know. Seriously, think about it. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So... So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David says, Lord, I understand what I've done is wrong. David writes this, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Do you catch what David is saying here? God, I know how bad my sin is. But I know how great your love is. If you wash me, if you forgive me, I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. In other words, repentance leads to hide your face from my sins, blot out all my iniquities, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Did you catch that? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit never departed from David. But David sure felt like he could. You have every right to walk away from me. And if you did, I couldn't say a word. But I know 
that your love is steadfast and I'm clinging to the one hope I have and that is that your mercy will not fail me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Now, I'm not trying to be dramatic here, but there's several people in this room tonight and we're having a class and we're talking about David saying, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. I can't think of any better personal testimony than that of David. The lying, murderous, arrogant, proud, thief. I mean, he, is there anything he didn't do here? I mean, really, come on. He, he pretty much runs the gamut. That's why he says sinners will return to you. Because I've chucked them all off. Well, no, not, not literally all of them, but you know what I mean. All right, here's another one. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. But now, wait a minute, I thought it was all about sacrifice. Sacrifice speaks of something else. <laughs> the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. David writes, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper. You know what that is, right? Just somebody opens a door. A doorkeeper. Washes feet. Washes feet. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. My God, isn't that interesting? Than dwell in the tents of wickedness like Lot did. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now I want to show you a glimpse of the character of David. Now contrast what we're about to read with how Adonijah handles his affairs. This is toward the end of David's life. This incident we're going to read. Keep that in mind. This is not a one-time reflection of David. This is at the end of his life a reflection of David at the beginning of his life. David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, David has ordered a census which God said not to do. And because of that census, then bad things were happening. Who caused the angel to come and strike the people? David did with his sin, right? Now, David says, Behold, I have sinned. Here we go again, the great repenter. And I have done wickedly. I don't even want to read it. But these what? Gosh, man. Does that not break you? Does that not get you in the gizzard? I have done, I have sinned. I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? <laughs> People were dispensable. To Adonijah. They meant nothing. But to David, go back to Nathan, go back to Jesse's field. But these sheep, he's not saying, man, I'm losing money. That's tax dollars. 
Every time one of those people pops off, I'm losing something. That's not what David's saying. David isn't saying, oh no, I might lose more of our military. Oh no, we might lose some of our wise men. Oh, what will we do? We've got to keep the kingdom together. No, you know what David says? David says, whoa, but these sheep, L.A., Josh, Jason, Michelle, Kitty, Melissa, Chris, Kristen. He names them off. He knows them by name. I'm not saying he names them off. I'm saying David knows the people. He doesn't just look at them as a group. He sees them individually. How do I know this? Because every good shepherd does. He cares for each of the sheep. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. And God came that day to David and said to him, Go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor. Gosh, we need about 12 more hours. Of Aaron of the Jebusite. So David went up at God's word as the Lord commanded and when Aaron looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Aaron went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Aaron said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Aaron said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Aaron gives to the king. And Aaron said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. But the king said to Aaron, I know, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land, and the plague was averted from Israel. Do you know what would be built on the threshing floor of Aaron? The temple. The temple. The temple. Revi or revisit this quickly. David sins. <laughs> This is giving me the weird feelings, man. David sins. He goes to the Lord and says, I did this. Spare the sheep. I'm, listen, I'm trying hard not to be weird here. But in that moment, there is this, I don't know what to call it. There is this, this, there's just this moment where God and David almost transcend time. And David is saying to God what Jesus is going to say. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Put it on me. And in this moment, God says, and that is the temple. That's the temple. David, go and buy the threshing floor. What was David's heart? It was for the Lord and the people. What was God's desire for his people, his sheep, 
to be able to experience forgiveness. And in this moment, you have the one of the most fascinating and enthralling pictures of the will and the heart of God on display in a human being. But this is not the first time that someone has said, take me instead of them. Abraham throws himself into harm's way to go and rescue Lot. Lot was an idiot. Right? Big dummy. You made your bed, Lot. Now lay in it. Problem was, the bed was on fire. Everything was going to burn. Lot goes and rescues him. Right? Goes and rescues his, his, uh, his, his nephew, but yet his nephew stays in the land. We all know what happens with Lot and his wife and everything else. He has to get out of that land. But Moses does the same thing, does he not? But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you've written. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. This is who? It's Paul. Paul the Pharisee is now the same heart and character as Moses, David, Abraham. I'm getting there. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Cain. Adonijah. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. This is repentance. This is confession. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Left, the right, north, south, east. Do you get this? And he said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now let's cap this off. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Quickly, let me go back. Do you know what this means? To be in the presence of God means to be in the heart of God. To have the same character, same heart. Jesus is saying to this man who is hanging on a cross with him, Buddy, today, you, based on your confession, on what you've just said, you will be with me. In paradise, because your heart is right. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What does that mean? Forsaken. Jesus is calling out, and what is the Lord doing? What is God doing? He's not hearing him. Why? Why? Why why is he why is he rejected or forsaken by God? Paul tells us for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If ever there was a picture of the heart of God, was it not when Jesus, the perfect, righteous Son of God, who, as Paul writes, left heaven to come to earth, came to earth and took on the form of a servant, not just any servant, but a servant to death, and not just any death, but death on the cross, which is the lowest of low. Cursed is he that hangeth on a tree. So here Jesus is hanging cursed, rejected, forsaken. Why? Why did he do it? What did, he, what did Jesus say to his disciples? He said, if you love me, feed my sheep. He said, I am the good shepherd. He said, my father has other sheep, not of this pasture. And I've got to bring them in too. That's us, the Gentiles, filthy, rotten scoundrels. So when Jesus is hanging there that day, which, by the way, he's in close proximity to the threshing floor of Arana. What's happening? The heart that you hear from Abel, Abraham, Moses, David, and others has found its fulfillment in him. And there that day he hung for the sheep, saying, God, put all of the sin on me for I can bear it, because they can't. What did Jesus get out of that transaction? From a, from, a, from a worldly, fleshly perspective, what did Jesus get out of it? A pain in the rear end is what he got because we're all still sheep. And I don't know about y'all, but I'm an idiot. Brats, did somebody say brats? Yeah. But what we are is not what we shall be. For in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall all be changed. And this mortal shall put on immortality, and this, this, this corrupt shall be incorrupt, shall put on incorruption. And when we see him, we shall be like him. Right? So what reward he gets is not where we are currently, but where we will end up. And I want to make sure that everyone in this room understands this. None of us are worthy of his love and his mercy and grace. None of us have earned it. None of us can keep it. None of us could ever attain it, much less keep it. But he loves us. So quit questioning whether or not you are loved or are free or are, are, are forgiven. You are. Not because of what you deserve or what you're worthy of, but because of what he's done. God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that we might become the righteousness of God. Had Jesus never done what he did, none of us would be able to be the righteousness of God. But because of what he has done, there is a day coming when I will no longer live in this body that I live in. I will have a new body that is free from sin. And I will not be subject to the whims of this world and this, and this flesh. But make no mistake... 
God loved David just as much here as he did here. Now, if you were to look at the life of David while he was shepherding the sheep, you would see many instances where David put his life on the line for the sheep. David laid down his life for the sheep. David loved the sheep. And you would see an analogy of God's love. But can we just say one more thing before we go home? And it's going to be nasty and ugly and vulgar and repulsive. Was this not an even more incredible display of God's love and mercy when even though David does what he does God says I'll never leave you nor forsake you I love you just as much here as I do here it's controversial so from now on don't ever think that you've got to earn it or prove it, or keep it all together. Gary is 26 years old. 27, I'm sorry. Gary's 27 years old. And when he, it's a joke, when he becomes, when he becomes an elder statesman, he's going to need the love and the mercy and the grace of God just as much as any other time in his life. So just embrace it. He loves you. And if he loves you, love each other. And love him. And let's enjoy what, what time we all have left together. And let's make the most of it. Let's knock the walls down in here. Let's blow the roof off. Let's go get people. Drag them in here if you have to. Fill it up. And let's tell everybody we can. And let's do like David said. Let's teach. Let's teach sinners about him.